Hello and welcome to another episode of TV Film and Us, the podcast where we talk about TV films and everything in between. We are your hosts, Ariel Harik and Carla Mensah, and we're back again with our monthly chat, so thank you for joining us. It's March, so happy Women's History Month. And if you've been following us on socials at Two Weird Women, you'll see that we've been highlighting female creators throughout the film and TV industry this month on our Instagram page. Of course, a month isn't enough to get through all the talented, amazing women out there, but we've got a pretty good selection for you to add to your film and TV list. This month, I know I found some new favourites to add to my list, like Cherish Shatoka. She's the award-winning director of the 2022 BAFTA British short film, The Black Cop. After I watched it, I was like, all right, I need to find out more of her work. Um, I discovered her documentary, To Gay For God, which she directed. It's about openly gay church minister and is available to watch on BritBox. Next up is Crystal Moselle. She's a creator of the HBO show, Betty. It's a teen comedy about diverse female friends who are skateboarders. It's about friendship and trying to navigate their field in an industry dominated by men. It's also available on Amazon Prime. Last up is Daughters of the Dust, directed by Julie Dash. This is by no means new, but it's new to me. It's the first feature film directed by African-American women to be released in cinema in the United States. It's about three generations of Gullah people migrating from the southern states to the northern states and is available on Prime Video. That's mad, you know, when you think about it, because Daughters of the Dust came out in 1991, which really isn't that long ago. But either way, that's obviously an amazing achievement to have under your belt. As for the black cop, um, I was really surprised at how much it resonated with me because I kind of assumed from the title that it was going to be about, you know, the day in the life of a black police officer. But I really enjoyed it, so I would definitely be checking out her other works. Um, but for me, I tried to watch films and shows from female creatives that I'd never heard of or just wasn't too familiar with. Um, and one of the things I found was this ongoing short film series called Women's Tales. It was created by fashion brand Miu Miu and twice a year in line with their summer and winter collections, they commissioned two short films a year directed by women from all over the world. Um, directors are free to make whatever they want. Uh, the first film, The Powder Room, was released in 2011 and was directed by Zoe Cassavetes. Um, currently, there are 22 films in a series, one of which um, is called That One Day, which actually went on to be a feature film called Skate Kitchen and then turned into the series Betty. Um, but other directors included in the series is Ava DuVernay, Dakota Fanning, Lynn Ramsey. Um, just really interesting and worth checking out. And they're all available to watch on YouTube. Um, another thing I watched was a show called Mood on BBC iPlayer. It was created by and written um, by Nicole Leckie, who also stars in it. It's an adaptation of her earlier project, Super Ho, which she wrote and performed in... Um, 2019 um, and Mood features original music by her and it's a drama centred around the dark and seductive world of influencers. Um, I also watched Turning Red. Uh, this is the latest movie from Disney Pixar and I just loved it. It was written by an all-female team and a lot of the leadership roles in the filmmaking process were also held by women. Um, Domi Shi, the director, is the first woman to be the sole director of a Pixar film and just for motivation. 11 years ago she was a Pixar intern. Amazing that she started off as an intern. First woman to be a sole director of Pixar. That's a big, big achievement. It took 25 films for this to happen, which is crazy. But I love that it's released during Women's History Month too, especially as it's got themes of womenhood running throughout. And you definitely sold me on mood. People only show like the glitz and glamour. So I'd love to see what Nicole Leckie does and how she shows us the other side. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's worth checking out. and. 
definitely with Turning Red. Um, I just also loved how it captures perfectly the awkward pre-teen, early teenager stage so well, because I remember being 13 and the obsession with like boy groups like B2K and buying Black B and Word Up magazines. Um, also, the boy band in the film have tunes, can't lie. Um, but yeah, and if you haven't watched um, the making of Turning Red as well, that's available on Disney Plus and it's definitely worth checking out. Oh my God, Word Up, Black Beat, Young Voices, memories. <laughs> Listen, I was obsessed back in the day, literally spending my lunch money on magazines just so I could put Bow Wow on my wall. Um, but anyway, steering slightly, well, actually, completely in a different direction for a minute, let's talk about The Batman. Um, as many of you know by now, The Batman starring Robert Pattinson and Zoe Kravitz hit cinemas earlier this month. And of course, one of the biggest questions for many was how Robert Pattinson would do as the newest Batman. So has he earned his stripes? Ah, yes. So Batman. Definitely, Robert Patterson, I was able to understand where Batman's come from and why Bruce Wayne is the way that he is. I felt like this emotional journey and that to me is a combination of many things, but like ultimately that's down to his acting and his ability to play a convincing Batman. Yep, I completely agree. Um, obviously it's difficult in a role like this not to compare him to those who came before, but I genuinely feel like he held his own and I really, really like this Batman and it's not that I disliked any of the other actors in the role, but this Batman, you know, the whole dark mood, I think it really sells the idea of the Kate Vigilante well for me. And um, what do you think about the film in general? Um, I really enjoyed it. Um, yeah, I enjoyed it. It could have been shorter, but honestly, I just really loved seeing Batman take on a more detective-type role, um, like we see in the comics. And I just love the noir vibe that Matt Reeves decided to go with and, you know, the voiceover to the organised crime ties. I, I just loved it. One heavy criticism, though, um, for me, honestly, that whole scene where Batman watches Catwoman get undressed. I mean, I know that protagonists in film noir or neo-noirs are supposed to be, you know, morally ambiguous, but I just don't think making him a creep was necessary. It was just really uncomfortable. But outside of that, Paul Dano was fantastic as the Riddler in this. Like, he really helped to set um, the tone of the film for me. And the unnamed prisoner, which, I mean, we already knew, but it was revealed this week that um, the unnamed prisoner was indeed the Joker, Batman's ultimate nemesis. Now, obviously, most of us know that the Joker pretty much holds the top spot for supervillains among the comic book world. So given that Matt Reeves' Riddler, who in comparison is relatively tame, was terrifying in this film, I literally cannot wait to see what he has in store for the Joker because, I mean, there's already talks about Batman 2. But yeah, love this Batman. Um, I don't really have a favourite Batman film, so I'm not sure exactly where I would place this. Actually, I'm lying. Batman Return will forever be my babes. And I do like Batman and Robin with Poison Ivy because I really love Uma Thurman um, as that character. So I guess I'll place this as number three. But... I don't know, can't really ignore the Dark Knight trilogy, so yeah, I don't know. I love Greg Frazier's cinematography. Like, Gotham is a dark place, literally and metaphorically. He curates some iconic visual scenes for me. Um, there was often these silhouettes of Batman by himself, or Batman and Catwoman overlooking the city. Or that iconic chase scene where Penguin is upside down. Like, I thought all of those touches added to how we view Batman as character. 
and I loved the Riddler. Like, I need to see more. Obviously, we see how it ends, so, you know. I like how villains come to be because humans aren't black and white. We're not solely good or bad. And I sat there thinking, this Riddler is really complex, but also incredibly intelligent. I just, I just need to know more. My favourite Batman film is definitely The Dark Knight. It's absolutely phenomenal. If we're talking about villains, Heath Ledger's Joker's in a league of his own. Like, how do you even top that? Like, you can't. I also love um, Batman Returns, though. Do you know what? I loved that shot of Batman upside down during the chase scene and the fire behind him as he walks slowly towards Penguin. I thought that was really, really brilliant. Um, and I agree, Heath Ledger's Joker is probably one of the best villains of all time. But... He's still very much, to me, a comic book villain, whereas, like, Paul Dano's Riddler, for me, was much more serious and frightening in, like, a thriller-type way, um, which I guess is why um, there's been so many comparisons um, to your bestie, David Fincher's films, like Seven and Zodiac. Who does dark and gritty like David Fincher? Nobody. Says the number one fan. Oh, no, you are correct. But, keeping on the subject of Batman, though, let's talk about another Batman, sort of. Um or rather another Bat-themed comic book character. And if you didn't know this, there are a few, to name a few, Man-Bat, Batwing, Ace the Bat-Hound, which is actually Batman's dog, and who, who we'll actually see for the first time um, in an upcoming animated film called DC League of Super Pets, voiced by Kevin Hart alongside his bestie, Dwayne Johnson, who will voice Crypto, who's Superman's dog. But anyway, the other Batman we are, of course, talking about is Morbius. Oh my god, I just love how many characters there are to discover. That, that's what's so great about comics, um, especially when you factor in multiverse, because there's just so many different directions that these films and shows can go in, and I just cannot wait for Morbius. Like, for one, the trailer has been saying coming soon for like a decade, but now that we've obviously seen it, it looks wicked. Um, you know, you've seen a real, like, horror slash super genre mashup here and morbius is definitely one of in my opinion one of the more interesting marvel characters um he's kind of an anti-hero sometimes villain so you know i'm really interested to see um where they take this to be honest because in the comics he has storylines involving the punisher deadpool the hulk and spider-man Ah, yes, that infamous trailer i remember seeing that teaser about two years ago now i mean i think anti-heroes are interesting anyway and I'm going to watch this and be introduced to a comic book character that I know very little about, which I love. So, yeah, let's see how Jared... Let's see. But we are in March, and March is Women's History Month, so let's talk about some women. Um, we've used this month, really, to highlight or discover as many female creatives as we possibly can. Um, like I said earlier, you know, discovered a few hidden gems, but this is in general now. Um, like... Have you got a top three of female creatives that you're just fangirling over right now? And this can be actresses, producers, writers, directors, cinematographers, whatever. Well, I think everyone knows we are super fans of Michaela Cole, Issa Rae and Lena Waithe. But we're going to look at three more creatives today. So number one on my list, and this is in no specific order. Number one is uh, Charlotte Bruce Christensen. She's a talented cin cinematographer behind films such as one of my favourite Fincher films, Gone Girl. She's also the cinematographer on Fences, Molly's Game and A Quiet Place. I love her visual style and can't wait to see what she's working on next. Right, so number two, 
Robin Feedy, creator of the HBO Emmy-nominated show Black Lady Sketch Show, which I watched and enjoyed. Fun fact, she was the first African-American woman to be the head writer for a late-night talk show, and that was the nightly show with Larry Wilmore, which aired on Comedy Central. In 2020, she signed a development deal with Warner Brothers, and again, I'm waiting to see what she does next. Now, last but not least, this lady leads no introduction the one and only Shonda Rhimes. We could literally have a whole episode about her and there still wouldn't be enough time. Like she's an executive producer, also known as a showrunner, she's a scriptwriter, she's even a book author. Wonderland is the name of her production company and these shows include award-winning long-time medical drama Grey's Anatomy which premiered in 2005 and is now on season 18. Shonda continued to write episodes up until 2017 when she departed from ABC. Other shows include Private Practice, a spin-off of Grey's Anatomy, Off the Map, Scandal, How to Get Away, Murder, The Catch, Still Star-Crossed, For the People, Station 19, which is the second spin-off of Grey's Anatomy, and that's on season 5. In 2017, she, she signed a deal to produce shows with Netflix. In 2020, Bridgerton was her first scripted Netflix show, and she smashed the records. Like, she made history at the time, because that became a show that within the first 28 days of premiering, it was watched by 82 million households. As it stands, Bridgerton is the second most watched Netflix series ever. Season 2 premieres on 25th of March and her second series, the limited crime drama Inventing Anna was also released in 2022 and that sits in the top 10 of Netflix's most watched series. Like I said, one day is not enough to discuss her body of work. Shonda Rhimes is literally the goddess of TV. Like, she really has the magic touch. Um, I, I actually do stand her. Um, <clears throat> but the three women that I have chosen are Mariama Diello. Um, she's a writer and director of a film called Master, which is on Amazon Prime now, and it's a horror film about three black women trying to find their place at a predominantly white um, university. It's the first thing of hers that I watched, and I, and I really liked it. Um, this led me to check out her other work, and I came across this short film called Hairwolf, which you can find on Vimeo, and it's about cultural appropriation, but in the style of horror. And I just think her work is really interesting. It's quite thought-provoking. It gives me a kind of Jordan Peele vibe, but with, like, classic horror elements. So I really can't wait to see more of her work. Number two, Ava DuVernay. I mean, I'm a big fan of Ava DuVernay's work, like... Anyway, um, but I think she's incredibly talented and I'm always excited to see what comes next. But one of the things I really love about her, or I guess find inspiring really, is that she didn't pick up a camera until she was 32, which for many is considered late. But it just proves that age shouldn't factor into the creative endeavours that we have. Um, and number three, Lulu Wang. So I discovered Lulu Wang this month actually her film the farewell is on netflix and it's a true story based on her life and about how her grandmother is diagnosed with terminal cancer but the family decided not to tell her and they used the excuse of sort of like a last minute wedding to gather and say their goodbyes and i just thought like what a unique kind of subject matter but i really enjoyed the film and i love how it explores the family dynamics and sort of like the contrast between the eastern and western cultures Right, the 94th Academy Awards, aka the Oscars, are almost here. We're literally days away from the ceremony that's due to kick off on the 27th of March. It starts 8pm Eastern Time, 5pm Pacific Time, either way, that's 1am on Monday 28th 
for us here over in the UK. Sky and its streaming service now will be broadcasting the Oscars live from 1am on their sub-channel Sky Cinema Oscars. The confirmed hosts for the nights will be Regina Hall, Wanda Sykes and Amy Schumer. This will be the first time the ceremonies had multiple hosts since 2011 and a host at all actually since 2018 and it's the first time the ceremony will be hosted by all women. Mm-hmm. We also know that some of the presenters for the awards include Lady Gaga, Chris Rock, Lupita Yango, Anthony Hopkins, Samuel Jackson, Woody Harlison and Jamie Lee Curtis. The cheek. Couldn't give Lady Gaga the best actress nomination she deserves but got her to pre- present an award. <laughs> I swear if they if select her to present the best actress they're mocking it. Anyway. Hmm. Um, we really need to start booking off these award shows because 1am is a madness um, but I do actually have work early on Monday around 5 unfortunately so while I'm not promising anything you know we'll try our hardest to deliver as close to real time updates as possible but honestly sleep is life so don't bet your life on it the need to make it an afternoon event 12pm pacific time everyone wins because yes I'll be fighting to stay awake We'll deliver as soon as we can. I thought the same thing. Problem is, however, 12pm Pacific time is still the earlier hours of the morning for someone. So, like, Japan has something like a 16-hour time difference to Pacific time. So, I just need them to work with my schedule so the awards can be on my days off. But it's not the end of the world because you can, of course, record the ceremony and watch at your leisure. Or BBC News will have a 30-minute segment on... Um, at 9.30 on Monday morning with the winners and their reactions. Um, And at 7pm on Sky Cinema Oscars, there will be some highlights which will play again at 10pm on Sky Showcase and Sky Max. But what are your predictions for the winners at this year's Oscars? Because judging from the BAFTAs, the SAGs, the Creative Choice and the Golden Globes, there are definitely some real favourites. To name one, Will Smith, he's literally taken home the best actor at all of the big awards so far and of course is nominated in the upcoming Oscars, so do we think he's taking it home? I was looking like Will Smith's year for sure. Yep, I think he's going to take home the best actor because like you said, he's won the others, there's a pattern usually anyway. Now he played the role Richard Williams well, don't get me wrong, but very best? Nah, not for me. My winner's either Andrew Garfield or Benedict Cumberbatch. And what about you? Who do you think is going to take it home? And what are your predictions for Best Actress? Um, well, based on everything so far, yeah, I definitely think Will Smith is going to take home um, Best Actor. And that would be a massive moment for him because it would be his first Oscar, which is quite surprising considering how long his career spans. Um, but I'm also with you. I think it wasn't the very best. Um, it was good, great even. But for me, Benedict Cumberbatch was a standout. Um, out of the nominees this year and our best actress mm, well Jessica Chastain is in the lead she's got two wins so far from the SAGs and the Critics Choice but uh, I don't know who I'd like to win is Olivia Coleman. I think she was fantastic in The Lost Daughter um, but I guess we'll see but what about supporting acting categories though because I thought there would be a little bit more of a battle between Cody Smith-McPhee and um, Troy Kotzer, but Troy has three out of the four so far, and I reckon he's taken home that Oscar. Which, as a first deaf man, um, second deaf person um, after Marley Martin to be nominated for an Oscar, his win would obviously be very well deserved, but also nice because it's been 35 years. But you know, three out of four, wow, okay, I think it's gonna go to Troy too. Huge achievement if it does. Um, he was great in Coda, he really was. But for me, my personal winner was Cody Smith. 
McPhee. His performance and range blew me away in The Power of the Dog. And because as his character developed and went through different stages, his performance got stronger. He's got my vote for sure. In terms of Best Supporting Actresses, looking like Ariana DeBose is bringing it home. She's got the BAFTA, she's got the SAG, she's got the Critics' Choice Award and the Golden Globe. I think Ariana will take it home this year too. Um, this is her year. And I completely agree with Cody Smith with he was He was great in The Power of the Dog. But I can't ignore how good Troy was in Coda either. So, I mean, I'm, I would, like I said, I'm, I'm kind of thinking it's going to be for Troy. But, you know, I, I would be happy to see either of them win, to be honest. Then we've got the big one, Best Picture. I've said it once, I'll say it again. Nightmare Alley was amazing. I spoke highly of Kate Blanchett on the last episode, but Bradley Cooper also delivered. He deserved to be nominated. I cannot believe they overlooked him. Anyway, I feel like Guillermo del Toro was the perfect director for the 1947 remake, which is an adaptation of the 1946 novel. You know, fantasy is his signature style, and he really pushed the envelope by making this film darker than the original. At times, I felt like I was watching a horror unfold. I know it won't win, but it's my winner. So... Right, back to reality. Best picture is probably going to go to The Power of the Dog. And to be fair, I enjoyed this film a lot more than I thought I would. I can't wait for this category because there's so many unexpected things that could happen. So let's just see how it goes. Guillermo del Toro was the perfect um, director for Nightmare Alley and I really enjoyed it. And while I absolutely love him, I just don't know if I'm agreeing that it's it should be the winner of Best Picture. And if I'm really honest, I didn't really think that Bradley Cooper was overly memorable in that particular role but i mean i also watched the film mainly for kate so you know um but yeah i think and i hope best picture will go to drive my car um speaking of guillermo though let's talk about best director because i think it's safe to say with confidence that this is jane campion's year she's already taken home all three um best directors awards so I'm happy for the rain to continue and I really enjoyed the power of the dog so I would love to see her get four out of four. Jane Campion has taken this one home. I'll be surprised if she doesn't. Yes, I'll be very surprised um, if she doesn't take it home. But let's talk about best international feature because obviously there's a lot of buzz around Drive My Car. Um, but I've also heard a lot of good things about Flea which is finally available on Amazon to rent so I think I'm gonna pop this one cash um, and the other film The Worst Person in the World so I really don't know who will take this one home but I think it will be out of those three films. You know I love the best international feature um, it introduced me to a whole new world of directors films and cast and also new cultures which is important too. Well, we've given our Oscar predictions. Now all that's left to do is sit back, relax, and count down to the big event. Um, some big news before we go. Not for us, but for Amazon, because Amazon has closed on a major, and I mean major, deal. For $8.45 billion, Amazon has purchased the historic and major film and television studio Metro Goldwyn Mayer, a.k.a. MGM. MGM films and shows include The Hobbit, the James Bond franchise, Rocky, The Handmaid's Tale, The Silence of the Lamb, Legally Blonde. Metro Goldwyn Mayer was part of the Big Five studios when it began productions in 1924. Its studio is a part of Hollywood's history and was one of the prominent studios during the golden age of Hollywood. 
Those classic titles include The Wizard of Oz, Gone with the Wind and Singing in the Rain. Those classics will not be included in a deal because it's been years since MGM has actually owned those titles. Warner Media owns the MGM titles and more from that era after attaining them when they bought out Ted Turner. What's unknown at this stage is whether Amazon Prime subscribers will get the full MGM catalogue. That's over 4,000 titles and 17,000 TV episodes. Imagine that, they will actually be spoiling us. Listen, I have an MGM subscription on Amazon so I hope they do but either way, I'm excited. Anyway, that brings us to the end of this month's episode. Thank you for listening. We wish you all the best and join us again next month. To keep up to date with us, follow us at Two Weird Women on Twitter and Instagram where we'll be updating you on the Academy Awards and the latest TV and film news.